Hi, I'm Sam Tucker from the radio show Food for Thought about veganism and animal rights. You can find me at ffttradio.wordpress.com and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, Let's well. get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. This episode I'd like to talk about New Zealand becoming a pro-whaling country... McDonald's and Weight Watchers entering an unholy relationship, and the HBO Temple Grandin movie. A recent news story in New Zealand is how we may become a pro-whaling country. It sickens me to even say that. New Zealand, my country, a proud, pro-whaling country. The basic theory behind the proponents seems to be, we can't beat the evil Japanese whalers who want to go out and murder whales, so let's join them, and maybe we can politely ask them as friends to spare a whale or two. I find it very upsetting, so New Zealand would be supporting what is called commercial whaling. We'd basically be saying that whales are animals to be used for meat. I've long said in online comments that whales are no different, no more special than cows or chickens or pigs, that they're not some mythical beings from Saturn. And now it seems like I'll be proven right, although by the pro-whaling side. A question is, what's to stop the allowed commercial quota, the number of whales taken, from rising in the future? There's also been a lot of coverage of Pete Bethune, a New Zealander who owned Earthrace before it was rebranded Aidy Gill, now a member of Sea Shepherd, who has been arrested in Japan. I'm quite sick of all the Sea Shepherd news, to be honest, but this current story fits in with the general mood in New Zealand about whaling. I'll play a few clips from the mainstream media. A welcoming party of protesters awaits Kiwi conservationist Pete Bethune in Japan tomorrow. The New Zealand embassy in Tokyo has been picketed by a group of noisy protesters waving cans of whale meat. They are demanding our government punishes the anti-whaling Sea Shepherd activists. Bob McNeil reports. The New Zealand embassy under siege. The protesters are demanding an apology from our government and punishment for Sea Shepherd supporters. It's unusual behaviour for the Japanese who seldom protest. It reflects the depth of feeling and anger that Japanese people feel against the Sea Shepherd group, which has been attacking their ships and putting the lives of the Japanese seamen uh, at risk in the Southern Ocean. And I think really that the, that is, this has spilled over into the Japanese public. It was loud and it was volatile. And at the end of the protest, a staff member from the New Zealand Embassy walked out to receive a letter from a Japanese demonstrator. He read it out loud and tried to hand it to her with a can of whale meat. Also on the protesters' hate list was Kiwi Pete Bethune, whose boat, A.D. Gill, sank after a collision with a Japanese whaler in February. Bethune is charged with piracy for climbing on board the ship after the collision. 
He's due to arrive back in Tokyo tomorrow and will face charges and plenty of protesters. Bob McNeil, 3 News. The Kiwi captain of the anti-whaling ship sunk in Antarctic waters has been arrested in Japan. Pete Bethune has been detained for nearly a month on a Japanese research vessel after boarding it in the dead of night. Heather Duplessy-Allen reports. This is the only glimpse we have of Kiwi Pete Bethune, covered by a hood and hidden from waiting media, just moments before his arrest on Japanese soil. The anti-whaling protester brought into Tokyo Bay on the Shonen Maru 2, the vessel at the centre of the nearly two-month saga. Pete Bethune's father says the family are concerned for him. We are not able to make contact with Pete at present. Uh, that's been part of the problem for the last 10 days. Uh, he doesn't have access to a telephone. It all started with this collision between the Shonen Maru 2 and the Adi Gill. The boat Pete Bethune was captaining eventually sank. The Sea Shepherd Society skipper then boarded the Japanese vessel in the dead of night in a failed bid to arrest its captain. The Japanese government says this won't deteriorate its relationship with New Zealand and New Zealand consulate staff are expected to visit Pete Bethune later this evening. Until then, Foreign Minister Murray McCulley says he's unable to comment on the situation, but he's already expressed his views on the anti-whalers. People are determined to break the law and determined to kill other people on the high seas then it is not the responsibility of the New Zealand government or any other government to go and send what, armed vessels down there or something of that sort to stop them. The Sea Shepherd Society's hired two top lawyers. If convicted, the skipper faces up to three years in prison or a maximum fine of $1,500. Heather Duplessy-Allen, One News. My next clip is about how we don't need to kill whales for science. Australian and New Zealand scientists are doing something the Japanese can't seem to manage. They're carrying out extensive research into whale behaviour in Antarctic waters without killing a thing. And there to record this groundbreaking research is veteran natural history New Zealand cameraman Max Quinn. John McDermott has some of his exclusive footage. Cold, dangerous work. Despite the way it looks, the whales are under no threat. The scientists at work here are their friends. Their job, attaching satellite tags to mainly humpback and minky whales. Their goal, answers to some very long-held questions. The migration path of the whales is not very well known, but we know of the two major points in their life, you know, breeding in the tropics and feeding down here in Antarctica. And we've never been able to get down here. This is the first time we've been able to come down and do good science. With the, weather and the mainly Australian scientists have spent the past months working aboard the New Zealand Niwa research ship Tangaroa. At one point in the boat today we had thousands, literally thousands of sooty shearwaters feeding around us and, and three humpback whales moving through that group, feeding on surface krill. Um, you know, it's just quite extraordinary. It's, it's an exciting, privileged place to be. It's also very rough at times, delaying work that includes taking small biopsies. It's all aimed at discovering more about whale migration, family grouping and feeding behaviour. Most of these whales were taken down to very tiny numbers and are now recovering. And so we want to know where they're recovering in the Southern Ocean. It's a big area. Uh, these, are, you know, these are big questions for the whole Southern Ocean ecosystem that we can at last start to contribute through these, these non-lethal tools. The Australians are now beginning the journey home. For filmmaker Max Quinn, it's back to Dunedin to start on his documentary. John McDermott, One News. I'm personally not a big fan of tagging animals. In the clip we see the researchers shooting guns with the satellite tags as projectiles at the whales. 
Biopsies also involve using a kind of syringe to pierce away part of the whale's body, which is then used for science, presumably. I realize that we look after certain animals, birds for example, but I've never liked to see the animals with massive radio transmitter backpacks on. Would we like it if aliens tagged us that way? Perhaps that's what they do now, when they allegedly invade a certain cavity of ours. I don't think we'd want to have some transmitter pierced into us. And the next clip is John Key, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, about why it might be a great thing to be pro-whaling. Let's talk about whaling. You're not seriously considering dropping the moratorium, eh? Well, let's uh, take a step back. The current position at the moment is that there's a loophole in the law, and under the guise of scientific whaling, uh, the Japanese and other countries are taking a significant and growing and increasing number of whales. So that's what's happening. We've moved up from about 300 whales being taken to, as I understand, around about 3,000 whales being taken. So we need to stop that position. So yes, we're opposed to whaling. Uh, the question is, how do you stop that? Well, we've seen the actions on the high sea of Greenpeace and others aren't working. Um, and a diplomatic solution is a potential way through. And New Zealand and Australia are locked at one in that view. There's no difference, as Chris Carter would say. In fact, the reason why Australia isn't taking Japan to the International Court of Justice till November is because they want to see whether the diplomatic solution can work. So there's a possible diplomatic solution. I'd say the probability of it being accepted by all parties is low, but there is a possible solution. But say we, we went to, uh, to, to making um, you know, the, the, the killing of whales illegal and how could you be sure that Japan would stick to any quota or that a whole heap of other nations won't give whaling a go if it's legally and seemingly morally acceptable? Well, I don't think it'll ever be in the, in the camp of um, morally acceptable because people find it repugnant when whales are killed. I um, mean, it's the nature of the, the mammal that they are and the beauty that they are and the way that they are viewed by not just New Zealanders but by people around the world. There'd also be a phase-out, you've got to remember. So this isn't about a long-term whaling strategy. It's about how to, you know, if you like, wean uh, the Japanese and others off that if that's possible. But I think, I mean, the vast majority, if not all New Zealanders, want no whales to be killed at all and would like you to take yep. a stronger stand against Japan in doing it. I mean, to say that we can't stop Japan from lying to us and under the pretend guise of research, just killing whales for their meat so well, well, we'll make it legal. That just seems madness. Okay, so we have the same shared objective. We want less whales to be killed. We want no whales to be killed. Yeah, okay, we want no whales to be killed. But how do we get there? Because at the, in the current situation, that's actually not working. The whale kill is increasing, and it has been increasing steadily for a long period of time. So for all of the arguments about people going down to the Southern Ocean or whatever it might be, the whale kill is rising, and we need to turn that around and reduce that number, I agree with you, over time to zero. So the only question is how do you do that? Now, will a diplomatic solution negotiated through the International Whaling Commission in Florida be successful as all those nations get around the table? Yeah, I think we'd all assign a reasonably low probability to that. So where will that leave us? The answer is there'll be an action brought in the International Court of Justice by Australia. New Zealand may well join that action and, and be a party to it. May well we or would? Well, we haven't decided that yet. We need to talk to the Australians about what they would prefer and how that might work. But there's no guarantee that in the International Court of Justice that that will work. No guarantee whatsoever. Did that sound familiar to you? 
Oh yeah, well it can't be morally right ever, but we share the same objective and the animals are beautiful and we love them very much, but we have to make steps towards helping them. And the first step is obviously to kill the animals, but to try and be a bit more gentle. And by doing that, perhaps in a million years we won't kill these animals. I understand that it's very difficult for anyone to stop the Japanese whalers, and the whalers from other countries too. Often I hear people talking about the evil Japanese, in regards to the small number of Japanese whalers. I realize that little old New Zealand, population 4 million, half of New York City, a third of the population of Tokyo, we need Japanese exports more than they need New Zealand's. I know we export aluminium to Japan. They basically own at least part of the aluminium smelter near Invercargill, where I live. But we won't export much else to them. Maybe dairy products would be our other biggest export. I guess we could refuse to sell them our precious milk. I mean, how could anyone live without dairy products, right? We can cut off their milk supply, and they'll come crawling back to the bargaining table, weakened from not having milk, and they'll do what we tell them to, right? Then, we have the other people who demand that our government do more, that New Zealand naval ships should be sent out. Well, what would they do? Try and stop the whalers? Would our navy throw smelly things at them, or shine lasers in their eyes? Or turn on a big water hose and spray the whaling ships. Yeah, if our navy wanted to attack the Japanese whaling ships, the Japanese armed forces kind of have these things called F-15 fighter jets, which can more than defend themselves against stink bombs. New Zealand has essentially no army, navy or air force, which has always saddened me a little, although I suppose it's something to be proud of in some ways. I've always been interested in military hardware though. I don't like what it's used for, but I am fond of fighter jets and attack helicopters. I'd love to visit an American air show. You know those events where a crowd of people stare and point up in the sky? Look what the government spends billions of dollars on each year! While well, the song Rock You Like a Hurricane repeats over and over. In New Zealand, we have perhaps one air show, the Wanaki Air Show. It's a bunch of old World War II fossils, New Zealand's cutting-edge air force, putting about at 300 kilometres an hour. From time to time, the Australians blitz over the ditch with one of their lovely American fighter jets and show us how it's done in first world countries. Anyway, surely the answer is not to legalise whaling. It's not like when we legalise prostitution. You can't possibly argue that the whales choose to be harpooned with explosive charges. Regardless of what happens, this will be a very interesting thing to follow. Elsewhere in New Zealand, Weight Watchers have joined with McDonald's in an unholy alliance. McDonald's is paying to use the Weight Watchers brand. A few items sold at McDonald's can apparently be claimed as healthy, which is news to me. I've personally got nothing against fast food, but this marriage of two giant mega-corporations is too weird not to cover. Well, as you tuck into your evening meal, here's a weighty one to ponder. A deal between fast food giant McDonald's and Weight Watchers. Kim Vanell asks, is it a good dietary partnership? 
The Golden Arches, hardly a symbol of healthy eating, but add the name Weight Watchers and Maccas say change is on the way. We thought that it was a very compelling brand to associate ourselves with. The approved meals on offer equate to six and a half Weight Watchers points. A dieter is allowed between 18 and 40 points a day, but critics say it's all for show. McDonald's is simply going to widen its consumer base so that people who previously wouldn't go into McDonald's may now feel that this is an option. Arguing it'll lure people through the doors but not to the healthy choices. McDonald's and Weight Watchers may well say that it's not a marketing ploy and they may even desperately wish that people would go in there and choose healthier foods. I think the question is, will they do that? The people we spoke to say no. If you go to McDonald's, you don't really want to eat healthy, right? So why would you go to, why would you have Weight Watchers there? But really, if you want a salad, why would you go to McDonald's? If you think you can just waltz into McDonald's and order anything you like, think again. There are only three meals on the Weight Watchers approved menu, and no, you can't get fries with that. McDonald's won't say how much it's paying for the partnership, but admits there is a cost. The more meals we sell, the more Weight Watchers will make. Is McDonald's paying Weight Watchers for the right to have that Weight Watchers sign next to the big M? Uh, yeah, I mean, that is part of, the, part of the partnership. It's an endorsement logo. A logo that could prove valuable for this fast food chain. Kim Vanell, One News. The last story I'd like to cover is a trailer for the Temple Grandin HBO movie. I believe this is from the HBO website. It's the You Main video. I'll play it in full about what a wonderful person Temple Grandin is for overcoming her personal adversity to design death camps. My name is Temple Grandin. I'm not like other people. Can you bring everything you've seen to your mind? Sure. Can't you? Temple was born in the 60s when autism was was really misunderstood. No speech yet at the age of four. Your child is clearly autistic. What's the next step? We generally recommend an institution. Her mother keeps pushing her somewhat to meet those challenges and to go out into the world in order that she will function as best that she can. As she became more self-aware, she realized that she had certain strengths that she could really exploit, and she found a way to self-medicate. She goes to see her aunt and uncle on a farm where they raise cattle. It's where she learns that she actually empathizes with animals. You have a very special mind that's going to open up onto a whole new world for you. Do they have colleges with cows? Yes, they do. Thank God her mother forced her to get an education because she is a doctor in animal science. I'm a visual thinker. I think totally in pictures. My mind works like Google Images. She ended up working in the cattle industry, creating systems for cattle to move calmly. Temple realized there was a more humane way to encourage cattle. And she saw you could make something that would fool a cow, walking down a ramp with flats on it, so the cow walked peacefully in and then found itself stepping off into the water. She knew cows liked to walk in curved corners because they thought they were going back somewhere they'd been before. It was amazing that she could have visualized that whole thing. When I designed the dip bag, I could see it in my mind. She really understands animal behavior. If you do what she says, you're going to be more productive, and it's a lot more humane. She really revolutionized the slaughter industry as a result. All right, we got all right. Okay. What's going on here? They killed them because of their stupidity. One of the great things about making this movie was that we worked from her plans and we reconstructed one of her great achievements. It was surreal seeing the dip fat that I designed recreated here. Absolutely perfect. We needed cows, so HBO bought a herd of cows. 
We had someone with us at all times. Everybody looked after the cattle remarkably meticulously. It will look very intense on film. However, when the viewers look very closely, they'll notice most of the commotion was just man-made. Yeah, well, somehow I figured the problem was not what the cows were doing to the slaughter men and slaughter women. Everything we do to animals to make our food is man-made commotion. There were animal handlers present on set, constantly looking out for their well-being. All the facilities that we do are geared primarily for the humane treatment of animals. They have two stuffy cows, as we call them in the film business, and animatronic cows. These animals are used in place of a live, real cow to depict some of the action. I don't understand. If what Temple Grandin has designed is so wonderful for the animals that she loves so much, why can't they show it in a movie? Why can't it be performed by the actors in character? Perhaps because it would be considered cruel for an animal to be killed that way, just for a movie. But it's acceptable to do it many, many times a day. Every day, in every country of the world. Because we like the taste of meat. What a crazy thing, to be forced to use animatronic puppets. They have done a whole lot for the treatment and the handling of all kinds of animals, cattle especially. Her ethos was, I love animals so much, I want every moment of their lives will be calm. <laughs> and what we've done in the movie is convey how she was able to see that in her head before she constructed it. Why are some mooing more loudly than others? There must be a reason they're saying something. Mooing. You want to do research and write your masters on mooing. I think that there is a tremendous lesson learned out of Temple's journey that we can help unlock a door for somebody who appears very locked in. I know my system will work because I've been through it a thousand times in my head. People had been working in the cattle industry for decades and never really noticed how the cattle behaved. Ultimately, she not only changed the face of the livestock industry, but she really changed the face of autism. She's a real authority and she's written many books on autism and uh, animal behavior and she's a real success by, by anyone's standards. My husband read about you. Miss Grandin, this is a masterpiece. Temple Grandin also has comments about animals as property. As we know, she has no problem with killing animals. They are items to be used, of course, although with a few restrictions on the owner. Quote, to discuss whether or not animals should be property, I first have to define what the word property means in a concrete manner. I will limit my discussion to the framework of the US legal system and culture. When I own an item as property, I am allowed to do certain things with it. If I own a cow and a screwdriver, I can sell them, give them away, destroy them, experiment on them, eat them, put them in my will, profit from them, or use them in my business. I am also allowed to buy another cow or screwdriver. For example, I am allowed to slaughter the cow or destroy the screwdriver in a stamping press. Although absurd, I could even eat the screwdriver if I ground it into a very fine powder. Both the cow and the screwdriver can be used in my business, and I can put them in my will. I am allowed to modify cattle by selective breeding, and I can modify my screwdriver by painting its handle green. However, both the laws in the US and our culture put severe restrictions on the kind of things I can do to the cow, but place no restrictions on the things I can do to the screwdriver. I could be punished for felony animal abuse if I stabbed the cow in the eye with the screwdriver, but there would be no penalty for mangling the screwdriver and slowly destroying it by hitting it with my hammer. That didn't really explain to me why we would feel such a way about cows or any other animal. If it's because of our culture, 
because mainstream people in country X feel a certain way, have grown up a certain way, then we, as activists for animal rights, can change that by promoting what we believe in, veganism. We are currently being told that maybe it would be a kind of a good idea to sign up on that pro-whaling team, because we can't beat them using force, we might as well join them. Sorry, Prime Minister John Key, I think it's best we focus on promoting veganism, not that whales are special beings and how it could never be morally right to kill them, but that, oh, we can't stop other people from doing it, so we might as well do it too. At least supporting making it legal, who knows, maybe New Zealanders will go out and kill whales too. To work with the big industries to try and change what they are doing, it doesn't sound like animal rights to me. I don't see how it helps promote veganism. I don't see how it could ever help the animals. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals, at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com. If you want to contact me, even just to say you've listened, send an email to jwontdart at gmail.com, or on Twitter, twitter.com slash j-a-y-w-o-n-t-d-a-r-t. I'd appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.